Hallelujah. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ our King. We are so excited for this opportunity to share the Word of God with you through your favorite program, The Moment of Truth. We are at a critical moment in God's plan for humanity, and God is said to do awesome things in and through individuals, families, communities, organizations, nations, continents, and across generations. As we proclaim the Word of God in the following series, you are going to receive illumination and direction, especially those in the Valley of Decision, and hopefully you'll be accurately positioned for the current move of God. So, sit back and relax. Go ahead, call your family and friends, and get ready for a life-changing encounter with the Word of God. As you do, your life will never be the same again. Hallelujah! I don't know if you caught it yesterday, when I caught it yesterday, that the day where everything begins to change in Nigeria is when? Today. Now, I'd like us to look at our neighbor and congratulate your neighbor like you know that it is today. That is happening from today. That is already happening from today. Celebrate with somebody and say congratulations. It is happening from today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's take our seats very quickly this evening. I don't know if this is a setup or an ambush, uh, but I believe that God has what he wants to drop in our hearts this evening. And one of the thoughts that have occupied my heart since a few days ago when I was told that I will share here today is, God, I don't want to share my thoughts. I want to share your thoughts. And I would like you to impress upon my heart what exactly you want to do over our nation and what you, how you want us to be positioned. And I'm happy to announce to you that it is happening today. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I want to take us on a little discussion. And the title of this little discussion is our role in enforcing God's will in our nation. What is our role? What am I supposed to do? And some of the things we are supposed to do, we probably have been doing without paying attention. But today I trust God that God will bring us into the consciousness of what we really need to do. As we do today, the things that will, that, that, that will bring into effect what he has in his plan. Now today is a very strategic day, even in our fasting and praying. Because even in the history of the fasting and praying that many of God's children will do, there's usually that day. There's a day where Nehemiah stands before the king. There's a day when Esther dares to step before the king before she's invited. There's a day where everything that they've been praying for comes together. And I'm trusting God that today is that day. Amen. Amen. So, I want to share very quickly on what is our role in enforcing God's will in our nation. What are we supposed to do? And Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. And he said, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you listen to that prayer, you realize Jesus will not ask us to pray what will not be useful. God's will is already done in heaven. 
But you and I need to pray for his will to be done here on the earth. And we sang a song now that says, let it begin with me. I pray it will begin with us in Jesus' name. Now, so the first question I want to ask ourselves is what exactly is God's will for our country? Are we aware of it? Are we aware of exactly what God would like to do in our country so that we can play our role in it? What exactly will he want to happen in Nigeria? And if we're not aware of exactly what he wants to do, we'll be praying for the wrong things. So this, you know, this evening, I want us to go through God's word very quickly and identify a few key things about what God really wants to happen in nations. Because for a long time, I've thought that maybe what we need in this country is a particular kind of leader. Maybe what we need is the president. And then after a while, many of us will think maybe it's the Senate. And maybe it's all these places that things need to change and happen. But let's just go through a few scriptures very quickly to understand and to have a clear idea of what God was for our nation. Now, there's one thing we say here very regularly. Nigeria will be... Nigeria will be... And then Nigeria will be... And then Nigeria will be... In our lifetime. Now, when we say this, we may not understand what we are saying, but it's the same journey that anybody who is not in Christ goes through. Now, the first thing is you are saved. And then you are changed. And then you have this goal towards becoming great and becoming useful for God in your lifetime. And that's what we call the process of discipleship. That what God wants for our nation is our nation will be discipled. Our nation will be saved. Our nation will be changed. And our nation will become great in our lifetime. It will become an environment that is conducive for God's truth to be shared. Amen. It will become an environment that is just so that when evil is swiftly punished, people can reorganize themselves. And we know from scripture as well that how does God make this happen? How does God elevate our country from a country that has become the capital of poverty around the world into a country where greatness becomes common? Into a country where people don't go to bed at night without eating. Let's go through a few verses very quickly. Proverbs 25 verse 5. Proverbs 25 verse 5 says that when we take away the wicked from before the king, his throne is established in righteousness. Now I'd like us to pay attention. That more often than not, it is not really about the king. It's about those who stand in the presence of the king. History in God's word shows us there have been kings that did not know God. God's word shows us there are kings whose lineage was not Israel. But God was still able to influence and transform things in their kingdoms because of the people who stood before the king. The Bible says when we take away the wicked from the throne, from the king, the throne will be established in righteousness. Let's go to Proverbs 28, 18. Proverbs 28, 18. He says, whoever, what was 28, 12? I beg your pardon. 28, 12. He says, when the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. So when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. So if we have wicked people in authority, people will go into hiding. This is natural. And if people are going to hide in our nation today, 
We know the reason. Verse 28, same chapter. He says, when the wicked arise, men hide themselves, and when they perish, the righteous increase. Now listen, you and I can pray for the increase of righteousness from now till the kingdom come. We understand that it is when the wicked perish that the righteous increase. Amen. Let's go down a little bit. 29 verse 2. He says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people do what? People groan. Now that it is very clear that every desire that God has for our nation will come to pass the moment the wicked are removed from the presence of the king. Amen. The moment the wicked perish. Amen. The moment the righteous increase. Amen. But the question today is, what is our role in making this happen? What exactly do we need to do? Of course, we know that when we pray in line with God's will, he hears us. But how are we supposed to pray? What exactly are we supposed to be aware of? What exactly is supposed to be going on in our minds as we engage our nation, as we participate in our nation's change? I'm going to give a few case studies. So the very first thing that comes up here, let's go together to Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, Nehemiah Nehemiah had a vision that he wanted to be involved in building. So Nehemiah chapter 1, let's read from verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanai, one of, the, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, the first thing that you find amongst people who will be impactful in executing God's will over their nation is that they are burdened about their nation. And we are here today, I believe, because there's a burden in our hearts. The average person amongst us today has engaged in conversation with people about Nigeria. And I don't know if this, I don't know if you feel this burden, but if you don't have this burden, this burden is a burden you must pray to God for. Amen. This is a burden you must desire and say, God, plant in my heart a burden. Put in my heart a burden for Nigeria. Let me not go to sleep and wake up the normal way the average Nigerian does, trying to hide himself from the reality of what's going on around. Today, Nigeria has 86.9 million people that live in extreme poverty. Now, in case you think that is a matter of Naira and Kobo, no. What it means is that they cannot afford basic health care. It's the reason why our infant mortality rate, children who have no say in the matter, get to die before their time because they can't afford basic health. It's the reason why Nigeria has the highest number of children of schooling age out of school in all the world, 11 million. 
I don't know if you've been in a hospital before. I've been. In the, in the extreme care units, or what do you call it? <laughs> Intensive care units. When you are in a public hospital that is running on PHC and has no generator, and then somebody's on life support, and light goes. And then you are in the room and you begin to hear the UPS begin to make noise. People die that way. People die because rescue doesn't come quickly enough. Because the roads were designed when we were not so many. I don't know if you discuss about Nigeria with someone and then you realize, I can't just keep quiet. I can't just play ignorant. This happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah realized how much distress was going on in the land and he wept. And my prayer for us this morning is that over our nation, God will cause our hearts to weep. God will cause us to be burdened the way he is burdened so that he can plug us into what he is doing. In case you think it was only Nehemiah who was burdened, let's look at Esther. Let's look at Esther. Esther chapter, chapter 4. When Mordecai came to her to inform her that this is what's going to befall the Jews. Ezra, Ezra, Esther chapter 4. We read from verse 1. Now, a background story. Somebody had gotten the king to formulate a decree and write a letter. Say with me, a letter. I can't hear you. Now, a letter had been developed and circulated around the provinces declaring that every Jew will be killed. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible and we ask ourselves, why did Esther become queen? There are many reasons. I'll tell you the final one, by God's grace. The first reason was, if Esther did not become queen, the king himself would have died. Amen. Because just a chapter after there was a, an attempt to take the king's life that would have happened if not that Mordecai heard and told the queen and the queen told the king. I was together. So the first reason you can see obviously where Esther became queen was so that the king's life would be preserved. And why would the queen, king's life be preserved? King's life is being preserved because the king will be instrumental in preserving the lives of the Jews. Amen. And what's special about the Jews? In that sense, the Jews were being preserved because if they were not preserved, then the lineage through which Jesus Christ will come for my salvation and your salvation will have been blocked. So what was going on in Esther was of global dimensions. And here in chapter 4, Mordecai discovers that this decree had been written and all that was required to write it was a letter. And I pray that God will grant to us and hand us that letter that transforms our nation in Jesus' name. So when the guy says they are learned all that happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud, bitter cry. So Mordecai heard this and he was inflamed. How can this happen to my people? You know, sometimes you and I can think how many lives, how many years do we have to live? We'll live, we'll die. Nigeria can continue. But no. The people that God will use to build their nations will be burdened about their nations. 
So you find Mordecai, and let's, let's take it off from verse 2. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and Enoch's came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. She was also burdened. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai to take his sackcloth away from him. But he would not accept them. That's fine. Then Esther called Hatach, one of the king's Enoch's, whom he had appointed to attend to her, and gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hatach went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Aman had promised to pay into the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given as Shushan. That he might show it to Esther and explain it to her. And that he might command her to go in to the king. To make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Itachi returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Esther spoke to Itachi and gave him a command for Mordecai. And then the, the story continues. But guess what? Those who will ever be involved in building their nation, will first be burdened about their nation. God will stare their hearts. God's spirit will stare their minds. And they will leave whatever it is that they were doing and pay attention to what God wants to do. And if you see this drama is happening around the palace. So, in Nehemiah, he is burdened. Here in Esther, Mordecai is burdened. The Israelites are distressed and the distress contacts Esther as well. We have a similar story in Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. Ezra 1. In Ezra 1, we have a very interesting story because this time around, it wasn't even a king. It wasn't a king that was... Like, like both kings anyway. It wasn't a king that knew God personally or anything like that. But something happened. Ezra chapter 1. Let's read from verse 1. It says that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So he made a proclamation. And his proclamation was throughout all his kingdom and he put it in writing. Amen. You know, sometimes we don't understand the power of a decree or something that is put in writing by a king. He put it in writing. And he declared, let's see what he puts in writing. It says, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is am- who among you of all his people, may the Lord be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. And he began to decree exactly what he wanted to see happen in that place. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 5. Then the heads of the father's house of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved. I pray that God will move your spirit and my spirit in Jesus name. I believe we are here today of all the people that can be here today because there's something about the future of our nation that causes our hearts to stare. 
And because it causes our hearts to stare, the process already began. And we can see in these people that the first thing that they caught was a burden. After they caught the body, what was the next thing that they did? They fasted and prayed. Amen. For God's will to be done, men must pray. If you understand and read scriptures, you understand that prayer is not a vehicle we use to get God to endorse our fleshy desires. Prayer is what we use to ensure that what is already God's will can be done in our sphere of influence. So whenever God's will will be done, men's hearts will be burdened, and the next thing that they will do is that they will pray. Prayer is not to rubber stamp our desires. Prayer is to get God's will to be done. Bible says, if my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves, turn over their ways and pray, I will hear and I will heal their land. So that is the confidence we have in approaching God. That when we ask in line with his will, he hears us. And once we know he hears us, we know we have all that we have asked of him. Now, so God has a will that he wants to do. But he's waiting for you and I to engage him about it. To tell him that we are ready for your will to be done. We are ready for your authority to be established around our spheres of influence in our nation. And we'll see it also in the same places, Nehemiah 1. Let's go for verse 5. As soon as he was burdened, the next thing he did was he prayed. And fasted. And I'm so grateful to God today that we are here praying and fasting. Verse 5. He said, I pray, Lord God of heaven. And you find, you find Nehemiah praying. And if you look at the prayers, the prayers will look the same in almost all the places. In Nehemiah, in Daniel, with Joseph, as in with Esther, you'll find a similar thread to those prayers. They prayed and they fasted. If you go to Esther chapter 4, initially Esther said to them, Ah, tell Mordecai, there's a problem. The problem is anybody who wants to come before the king must be invited. If I get there and he doesn't stretch the golden scepter to me, I will have a problem. I will die. And Mordecai replied and said, tell her that maybe it's for this reason that you are queen in the first place. Because guess what? You are also a Jew. And if this decree holds, you will die and perish. But God will raise help through somebody else. Tell your neighbor, God will raise help. Tell your neighbor, God will raise help. Tell your neighbor, God will raise an army of people who are burdened about their nation, who will fast and pray and engage the system. Listen, gentlemen, fasting and praying is not an end. It's a path. When we fast and pray, we must fast and pray for something. If you read with Jehoshaphat that we read yesterday, Second Chronicles 20, verse 3, same thing. After it became overwhelming and they were distressed and burdened, they went to God and they prayed. They fasted and prayed. And I'm so glad we are fasting and praying today. But they all prayed in a very interesting way. And that's what I want us to do today. They didn't pray the kind of prayer that when you are finished praying, they will ask you how was prayer meeting. And you say, ah, the spirit of God moved. They didn't pray those kind of prayers. Where the comment that you share after is that the spirit of God moved. 
They shared prayers that you and I can talk about what happened after they prayed. And that's what I want us to pray today, that today, something is happening today. Amen. So Nehemiah, they prayed with an end in mind. They were strategic in their prayers and in the answers they were looking for. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1 again. Nehemiah chapter 1. You know many times when I have read this prayer growing up, and I read this growing up, to say God repents, we and our family have sinned, it's our fault. We first of all need to identify with the problem of our nation before we can move forward. Fantastic prayers. But as he prayed this prayer on, he got to verse 10. Let's take from verse 10. Chapter 1. He said, now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer. So all I've been doing before is preamble. Prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cup bearer. Can you give me a message translation? In contemporary English. If you can't give me, I'll, I'll get it here. He says, verse 11. He says, well, there they are, your servants, your people. Whom you so powerfully and impressively redeemed. Oh master, listen to me. Listen to your servant's prayer. And yes, to all your servants who delight in honoring you. And make me successful today so that I can get what I want from the king. For I was called bearer to the king. Nehemiah's prayer had an objective. That when he stands before the king, he will get what he wants. Amen. Amen. And our prayer today is, today our engagement with the king will get us what we want for Nigeria in Jesus name. Your amen is not sounding like he believes. Now, Nehemiah was the king's cup bearer, what today you may call chief of staff. Is a role that the king trusts the most because this is the, it's from his hand that the king will collect the cup that he will drink. He's the last to compromise. Now, what exactly was Nehemiah looking for? We'll find it in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Nehemiah decides to approach the king. Let's go to chapter 2. Let's read very quickly. From verse... From verse 1. Let's read quickly. It was the month of... It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king, when, it was, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in the presence before. Go ahead. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? Let me pause there. Now, the king will notice if his cupbearer's face is sad because that's the person that is giving him water to drink. Wine to drink. Nehemiah, is everything okay? Can I drink? Your face is looking like you have tasted this thing and there's problem. Can I drink? What's going on? And Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah had the reputation, the kind of reputation that our pastor has, amen, of being a man of integrity, of being a man that is consistent. 
So when Nehemiah's face and countenance looked different, the king noticed. I remember Nehemiah was going to bed on the king for what he wanted to get from the king. So let's continue. I want to show you something very quickly. It says, Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and the gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? He said, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, if you don't understand what was happening, he was standing before the king and as he was talking to him under his breath, he was saying, You know, we talked about this God. This is the moment. This is the hour. This is the day. Amen. Amen. Now, strategy here was Nehemiah didn't say the gates and the fence is in ruins. Nehemiah talked about the tombs. If you look, understand about the kings of those times, tombs are very important to them. They believe that when they are buried, it must be done well. So when he can connect with the tombs of my fathers, is in ruins. And if you read further, you realize that the queen was by his side. So he said it in a place where a king should not tell you no. All the factors that make for yes were present. But as soon as he had communicated that, he prayed under his breath and said, God, please, this is the moment. And then he made his request. What do you request? So I prayed to God of heaven and said to the king, if it pleases the king, verse 5, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's storm, that I may rebuild it. Verse 6. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting by his side. How long will the journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me. For the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asher, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple. For the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. People will pray tonight that God's hand will be strong upon our pastor, our, our leader, our father. And that everything that is required from today to make this nation as he desires... God will cause to start. God will stay into motion in Jesus' name. Yeah. Nehemiah prayed to get what he wanted. Esther also. He, was, he told them. Esther said to the people, he said, tell Mordecai, fast and pray for me. Then I will go. He said, go and pray, then I will go. Where the prayer points will end is when I enter the presence of the king and he passes the scepter to me. I know the prayers have been answered. So Esther went before the king and Esther, Esther is a powerful woman. If it was a man, the first opportunity is what he will use. Esther didn't use the first opportunity. As they stretched the center to him, she calmed down and said, yes, God has heard the prayer. So I want to do lunch. Will you come for lunch? Invite Haman. They came for the lunch. They ate. She looked at him and said, I want to do dinner. Until she got what was required. Ladies and gentlemen, we will not only pray, we will pray with an end in mind. What will transform this nation is that wicked people are removed from before the king. 
What will change this nation is that the wicked perish in this land. What will change this nation is that righteous men come into authority. And anywhere and any king, if good men surround the throne, people will leave their places of hiding. But today we want to pray. You see, in these instances, all that was required was a letter, a strategy. When Joseph had prayed, all the prayer had an answer. The answer was the way the battle will be fought. Clear strategy. So very quickly today, I'd like us to pray. Shall we rise on our feet? The process for transforming our nation has already begun. And I'm sure by tomorrow we'll hear the good news. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I'd like us to pray this evening is pray that God place your burden in my heart. Don't let me, don't let me be a normal Nigerian just gossiping about Nigeria and complaining about Nigeria without an end. Stare my heart. Let me be a part of those people who, who will pray with Esther. Who will pray with Mordecai? Who will come together with Joshua to the throne and fast and pray and seek the face of the Lord for restoration and for transformation over their nations? Pray that God will place a burden in your heart. You will not just go and block your eyes to the level of poverty and decadence in our land. You will not close your eyes to the lack of education for our young people. You will not close your eyes to our dilapidated healthcare centers that have become death centers. You will not pay. You will not close your eyes to our roads that have become death traps. Pray that God will stir your heart. And God will give you a burden for this nation that begins to build the momentum into transforming our land. Place your body upon our hearts, O oh God. Let us feel what you feel. Let us see what you see. Let our hearts beat with your hearts beat, O oh God. Let our desire be your desire for our nation. Let us not tolerate it this way anymore. Let us cry over to you, O oh God, knowing that you are a God that answers prayers. You do not store our prayers. Have a Lord, we ask that you will cause your body and your spirit to move our hearts and stir our hearts. That we may be numbered amongst those who will restructure Nigeria. Who will be involved in saving Nigeria. Who will be involved in changing Nigeria. Who will be involved in causing Nigeria to be great in our lifetime. It is not about us, oh God. It's about you. It's about you, oh God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Not only were they burdened, they prayed and they fasted. And when they prayed and fasted, they had very specific things. And we can break those specific things down into a few. One, that God's favor will be upon us. That you will give us the answer that we need. You will cause the king to issue the decree that is required. And to repeal the one that is not required. Nehemiah stood before the king and said, send me. Give me the authority. Give me everything required. Give me the financing to do this work. I'd like us to pray to God today that God grant us favor. Grant us wisdom. Download into our spirits the clear strategy. It's already happening with our leader already. It's already happening to him that God will pray that today as he engages with the king, as he engages 
with all the people be, that he will engage with today, God, as he tenders his request before the king, that God, that which is in your heart, that which is your will, that which is your desire to transform our nation, will be brought into effect today. In the name of Jesus. That not tomorrow, today, oh God, that we'll stand before the king and he will extend his scepter. We'll stand before the king and he will ask, what do you want? We'll stand before the king and God, you will deliver the strategy for how this nation will be delivered from the wicked in the name of Jesus. That our nation will be delivered from the wicked in the name of Jesus. Have Allah, we call upon you, O God. We ask all of our nation that you will deliver us, O God. You will deliver us completely, O God. Have Allah, from today, the decree will be set forth. The letter will be approved. Whatever, Father Lord, that needs to be done will be done, O God. And that which is your desire for our nation will be better in our reality from this day forward. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And finally, today we're going to pray. If you look at all those examples, you'll find that somewhere along the line, opposition will come. You don't enter a strong man's house and take his possession without first binding the strong man. So we're going to pray. And I don't know if it's two prayer points or three or six, but I can see a few clear things here. The righteous need to be in authority. Amen. The wicked need to be rooted out. The righteous need to triumph. And the wicked must not rise to power. The wicked must perish so that the righteous can thrive. And the wicked must be taken away from before the king. Let us pray. Have a Lord, we decree over our nation, O God. Have a Lord, for long we have had the rule of wicked people over us. Have a Lord, we have had high officials over high officials ensuring that corruption is perpetuated, ensuring that the life and the resources of the common man is cornered by a few illicitly and illegitimately. Have a Lord, we pray today, O oh God, that you will root out the wicked. Have a Lord, from the authority, you will root out the wicked from around the king. In the name of Jesus, we pray that you will cause righteousness to thrive because wickedness will perish. In the name of Jesus. Have a Lord, it's our desire, O oh God. We are aligned with your will. Your word says this is the confidence we have in approaching you. And when we ask in line with your will, you hear us. And once we know that you hear us, we know that we have all that we ask of you. And Father Lord, we call upon you in this place today. We ask, oh God, that you will read wicked men from around the throne. You will cause them to perish from before you. You will remove the wicked from before the king. So that his throne will be established in righteousness. Have a Lord, we pitch them against each other. We ask that one by one, they will help themselves to destroy themselves. One by one, they will set themselves against themselves. And the wicked will perish from around the throne. That the throne will be established in righteousness. In the name of Jesus. Have a Lord, every talent that is into hiding, every power that is into hiding, every skill that has run into hiding because of wicked men in this nation, how about as soon as wickedness is removed, righteousness will thrive. 
over our nation in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Shall we lift up our hands and let's glorify Jesus there. Let's give him praise. Just like my brother said today. And the Bible says as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's thank him for what he's doing today. Let's thank him for this dream of a new Nigeria. Nigeria will flourish again. Father will give a praise. Thank you because you rule. And thank you for what you've started doing. We give you praise. We honor you. We adore you. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeah, you may be seated. I, we will just follow the same uh, pattern. We'll just briefly look into the word of God, and then we'll pray. Uh, but before I begin to teach tonight, I want to specially appreciate uh, the heritage of faith that we have in uh, Dr. and Mrs. Bakary that is bringing us together. Uh, we appreciate that everywhere because this is one unique heritage of faith that is um, batting on all of us that dream of a new Nigeria and that is um, making us to be conscious of the concept of a new breed without greed a radical position to corruption men and women, boys and girls totally sold out to God and we want to appreciate that. I know Pastor is not here, but he's hearing us wherever he is. And we appreciate also the opportunity to stand here to bring forth the word of God. I want us to open our Bibles to Habakkuk chapter number one. Uh, when Pastor spoke to Pastor Deolu and I, I think that was on Tuesday, that we would uh, be sharing tonight. I told Pastor Deolu to come first. <laughs> not because I was afraid to come first. <laughs> But I knew that was the order in the spirit. So it makes sense now as I start sharing because I'm just going to write on what some of the things he said. And um, I just thank God that he came first. Now, we're talking about those out there. Now we want to talk about ourselves. And I'm going to give us 12 things. So if you want to title this, you can title it The Diary of a Nation Builder. The Diary of a Nation Builder. I'm going to give us 12 things you need to be well acquainted with as a nation builder. And tonight I'll touch on one of those 12 things. Number one, I will open to Abacock one before bringing read from Abacock. Number one, you have to be well acquainted with your heritage. Heritage. And your heritage is where you come from. Number two, you have to be well acquainted as a nation builder with your inheritance. Your inheritance is what you have been born into. Number three, you have to be well acquainted with your identity. Your identity is who you are. Number four, 
you have to be well acquainted with your purpose. Your purpose is why you were born. <laughs> Number five, you have to be well acquainted with your destiny. Your destiny is where you are going. Number six, you have to be well acquainted with your vision. Your vision is what you see yourself accomplishing in a lifetime. Number seven, you have to be well acquainted with your mission. Your mission is why you do the things that you do. Number eight, you have to be well acquainted with your assignment. Your assignment is what you should be doing. Number nine, you have to be well acquainted with your resources. Your resources is with what you should be doing, what you should be doing. Number ten, you have to be well acquainted with your relationship. Who you should be doing it with. Number eleven, you have to be well acquainted with your legacy. What you are going to leave behind for the next generation. And number twelve, I was going to talk about 11 things, but as pastor was ministering yesterday, the 12 to 1 came. You have, you have to be well acquainted with your status, what you are becoming. Your status, who you are becoming. So we have your heritage, your inheritance, your identity, your purpose, your destiny, your vision, your mission, your assignment your resources, your relationships, your legacy, and your status. Now, before I, as I begin to teach tonight, I'd like us to look at those 12 things. How many of those things are you well acquainted with? Because believe me, if there is any deviation from being well acquainted with some of these things, it will be difficult to be a nation builder. Like I said, I'm just going to look at one aspect, and that's the aspect of vision. So we'll start from Abacock. We're actually going to Joseph, and uh, we'll just navigate as a spirit leads and trust God. Now, Abacock 1 is where a lot of people are in the church, and it's understandable because these 12 dimensions are significantly lacking most of the time. So in Habakkuk 1, we have the prophet, just like so many people in Nigeria, asking questions. And he said, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? In Habakkuk 1, and just like Pastor Deolu said, he started with a burden. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, it says the burden which prophet Habakkuk saw. So beyond the burden, he started asking questions. And he said, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry to you violence, like what is happening in Joss, what is happening in wherever, we know. And you will not save. Let's be real. Does it look like we are crying and it's as if God is not answering? And I know so many people have given up at this point praying for Nigeria because, I mean, people are like, well, another prayer meeting, for what purpose, really? We've been praying. I happened to have given my life to Christ from secondary school. I remember from those days in secondary school, every Friday we used to pray for Nigeria. So we've been praying. And you know how many years ago that was? So, I mean, this is the prophet. He got to a point where he was like, Lord, I'm crying. And, and I'm even saying violence. Maybe if I just cry alone, 
it's good for you not to hear. But what, what if I say violence? Maybe that will get your attention. I say, and you will not say. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. And verse 4, just like what is happening in Nigeria, the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. Just like Pastor Deolu was saying, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. And I told the Lord, we say, oh prophet, that is not what is going on. But look at the response the Lord gave in verse 5. The Lord said, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will walk a walk in your days which you will not believe, though you are told you. One of the things pastor tells us every time is that you can't craft God out of history. <laughs> Here was a prophet complaining. Just being honest with God and saying, why is so much going on? And it's as if there's so much going on. And, we, I mean, and the Lord said, you know the answer to, 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 to your prayer. I'm doing something you are not even aware of. I'm walking a walk in your days. And one of the reasons why I don't want to tell you is that if I tell you, you don't have the capacity to receive it. And get to chapter number two of the same Abacog. Now after the Lord said that, the prophet made an adjustment. So he wasn't complaining again. Because, you see, for as long as we begin to complain in the church in Nigeria, we will just be in chapter one. So what did he do in chapter two? Adjustments. I will stand on my watch. I will set myself on the rampart. That's why we're here. I want to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer when I'm corrected. And there was God about to bring forth a concept that is rare. And the Lord said to me, write the vision. Make it play on tablet that he may run who reads it. For the vision is here for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak. And it will not lie though it tarries wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. <laughs> you know, at times God has a sense of humor. There was a prophet complaining, praying, being burdened, and, and the Lord said, the only way you are going to become a nation builder is within the context of vision. So I gave us 12 things, and I said, I'm just going to talk about one, which is vision. It's amazing. All that the Lord told the prophet to do was to write the vision. So, so the question is, what is the vision? I want to start by going back again to Genesis chapter number 12. God told the prophet, and just like he's telling us tonight, that I'm doing so many things. I just have to look for a way of bringing you into what I'm doing. Because once you can see what I'm saying, and you are part of what I'm doing, 
And you begin to understand your heritage, your inheritance, your identity, your purpose, your destiny, your vision, your mission, your assignment, your resources, your relationships, your legacies, and your status. You will begin to understand. So what is the dream? Now, when God began to talk to um, Abraham here in Genesis 12, and the Bible said the Lord said to Abraham, uh, because of time, I'm sure we, this is a word house, so we know, but there's, there's a particular verse there, which is verse number two. I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. Then, in verse three, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll cause those who cause you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's amazing, beyond vision. The second thing God told the prophet as a solution to the dilemma was that revelation that now became widespread in the New Testament. It was as the prophet was praying that the prophetic origin of that scripture came, which is the just shall live by faith. So the Lord is saying here that there are two things when it comes to nation building. Number one, vision that is clear. And it's, it's a spirit-empowered vision. It's not something you can just wake up and say, this is how I want to proceed, that uh, there is something God is seeing. There's something God is doing that we must see. And the way we articulate that vision is within the context of faith. So he told the prophet, vision, and at the same time, the just shall live by faith. So it's amazing. If we begin to trace the origin of faith, it's not difficult to get to know why God was challenging the prophet on the pathway of faith. Because when the faith message hits, just like what we're looking at here, God already made us to understand that it's within the context of the faith value chain that the greatness of every nation will emerge. That within this value chain, there's a provision for every nation to be great. And that is why when God was talking to Abraham here, God said... I will make you a great nation. So if people come into this flow, our nation cannot but be great. Somebody say amen. amen. So what is it here? And you see, um, and it's, it's amazing that God did not just stop there. And God said within the, what I'm doing with Abraham that we can call the blessing of Abraham, not only will the nation be great, there's also capacity to bless all the families of the earth. Imagine, that means if our nation is not great, we are underperforming. Because what is already given to us as the heritage of faith can, can do much more than making our nation great. It also has the capacity of blessing all the families of the earth. That means after making Nigeria great, there's an assignment to even take it beyond Nigeria. So if our nation is not great, there's a disconnect somewhere. Because we can't have this number of people of vision in the same place, people of faith in the same place, people of prayer in the same place, and it doesn't translate to the greatness of our nation. Then there's a disconnect somewhere. So what is this disconnect? Now, when God spoke this to Abraham, I mean, I'd like you to see, let, let's get to Genesis 14. I'd like you to see Abraham like pastor, somebody in that order. And what do I mean by that? Someone that is, um, just like Pastor Dilly was saying, for those of us who are um, 
understand what pastor, what he's been doing over the years politically. I know it is not all of us who are going to come out to begin to do whatever pastor is doing politically, politically. We must translate that energy and give it other expressions. Because if all that, uh, if Nigeria is going to be great, we don't just need to solve our political problem. We need to solve other problems. So as pastor is transmitting this energy, generating this energy, and making us to understand how it works politically, somebody must also take it into education. Somebody must also take it into the health sector. Because we don't just need a political solution. We need solutions across board. And what God is doing with the fathers, just like he did with Abraham, is that he's going to take out somebody and make him the prototype. And I believe, as far as nation building is concerned, we have a heritage of faith in Dr. Tune Bakari because he's a prototype showing us how to engage. But that doesn't mean tomorrow some of us will go and see the president. But you don't have to go and see the president, but you can see your local government chairman. It's the same thing. <laughs> you can see your counselor. It's the same thing. You can see the principal of the school in your community. You can see the medical director of the hospital in your community. Because what pastor is just showing us is that when the vision is clear, God will pave way for you. I mean, look at Abraham here. I mean, this is, this is the vision. Now, all these kings were fighting. So you can call it the clash of the kings. Which exactly is what politics is. So this is politics 101. I mean, I mean see these guys fighting themselves and fighting it's you know somebody served somebody for 12 years because of time and suddenly they told Abraham now look at what Abraham did now when Abraham heard verse 14 that his brother was taken captive because at times I think one of the critical things vision would do is to show us or to give us what is called access points now when these kings were fighting and things were very bad. How did Abraham enter into the battle? How did Abraham become a major force? Because whether you like it or not, we have to walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham. Because God told the prophet, vision and faith. Then we have nation building. Now, they just told Abraham, Lot was captured. Who is Lot? Lot is everyone that you see that is being oppressed in this system. Because the Bible talks about lots of that righteous man that is being vexed every day by the filthy conversation of the wicked. So Lot is that person that went to the hospital and died before, because they took the light. How did Abraham enter? It wasn't that God said go. It was as they said Lot was captured. Every time human lives are being wasted, things are happening. Those are access points. But what we see every time is that, of course, we will gather, which is good. We are not undermining that. But what exactly are you doing? See, this heritage of faith, this, this heritage of faith must lead into an assignment, into an identity, into purpose. And we must understand that for such a time as this. So, immediately they told Abraham, Abraham said, there's no point dilly-dallying. But what worked for Abraham? 
Before this battle, he already trained 318 people. That means the vision is this. What are you doing now below the horizon? When you are not known, when nobody's reckoning with you, who are you? What is your assignment? What is your identity? What are you doing behind the scenes? Because whether you like it or not, the opportunity will come. So we see Abraham preparing for battle in a time of peace. I'm sure as he was training those guys, it didn't make sense. Because every day they wake up. I mean, you can imagine for those of us who did NYC, something like that. Jump, run. And, they were, and, and, and we, were, we were not told how long they did it. They continued to do it. It didn't make sense. So there's something about preparing. But you see, unfortunately, a lot of people in the church are not preparing. Imagine it was when they told Abraham Lord was captured. Started training these people. So Abraham was training. That means as a nation builder, we don't wait until the time they begin to call us from Abuja. Where, where you are in, the, in your closet, in your, you are a nation builder. You are a stakeholder. You are holding a stake and you are like, just my pastor is doing it politically. Where do I fit in? Because lots are everywhere and there's so much to talk about when it comes to lots. Somebody say amen. So look at your neighbor. Say, what, who are you training? Or what training are you going through yourself? So that means Abraham is telling us that the name of the game is training. And that is the motor of the last, um, the theme of the last classic. Training for reigning. So you see, life did not just give Abraham Give it to it on a platter of good Abraham. And, and you know, there's something about God. Of course, if you look at those kings, they were bigger than Abraham. They were mightier. I mean, these, these were nations that all their lives were always fighting. So Abraham had a private army. So I want to ask you tonight, what forces are you mobilizing privately? When you are alone, when you are not seen, what are you doing about nation building? Because you see, in the final analysis, that is what is going to count. So this was a private citizen preparing. This, this is our father of faith. And if you look at Dr. Bakari, you see this picture. You see over the years preparing, preparing, and immediately opportunity came. Pastor did not miss it. Did you understand? And pastor was, didn't go there, and he was found wanting. Because he prepared for it. So Abraham said, Guys, let's start preparing one day. And, and if you look at that Genesis 14, what were they fighting over? Resources. Two resources they were fighting over. Number one, they were fighting over asphalt, which is like the oil and gas of those days. You understand? Just like we were fighting over. Then from asphalt, if you read that same chapter 14, it became salt. Abraham did not need to fight. All he did was to mobilize a 318 servant trained in his own house. Yeah. Guess what? Part of nation building might be to take a job, might be to take a course. Because Abraham was not a soldier. How did he get military training? To, to the extent that you could now train others. We were never told Abraham was a soldier. So at times, you see, somebody can go back to university to go and do an MBA for the sake of nation building. Somebody can go and do a PhD for the sake of nation building. Somebody who is a doctor can start learning whatever. It's an open-ended thing. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. 
So I can't tell you what you need to do. But what we're saying at this time is that we must not just be straight jacketed. We must not just be, be praying. You see, as we're praying, the whole essence of praying is to activate the ministry of the Spirit via the hearing of faith so that you can hear exactly what you need to do. So that means at some point, that's the dream. The Holy Spirit must have told Abraham, the next assignment now is to acquire military training. Because one day, it's going to pay off. So he must have submitted himself to, 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 to the routine himself, to the extent that he mastered it, and he was now able to pass it across to 318 others. And they went, and before he knew it, they took over. Won the battle. Abraham, how did it happen? So that means, if God is going to amplify our strength at all, there must be strength there. God does not amplify weakness in the place of strength. Because for God, it is not from weakness to strength. It is from strength to strength. It is from faith to faith. It's from glory to glory. So if God is going to amplify the strength in the first instance, there must be strength there. So ask your neighbor tonight, what is the area of your strength? That all of us are not even aware of. You are just there. You know, they must have taken a plan for granted until he showed up. And maybe when he showed up also, they were looking at him. Who is this guy? That is the second coming of the church politically. That's the second coming of the church socioeconomically. That people will just emerge with this Abrahamic model and they will begin to take over mountains. Just like Pastor has been telling us, he said, leave these politicians, let them be fighting themselves. That's Genesis 14. That's where we are. Because as Abraham, after fighting themselves, we're just going to step out. And we won't take sides, we'll take over. Did Abraham take over? He took over. We'll just take over. And guess what? It was as he was coming out of that battle, he met Melchizedek. So let's read it in reverse. See, Pastor. I'm not saying Pastor is Melchizedek. Please try and understand me. I'm just saying. See, Pastor, in that mode. He has demonstrated to us what it means to be a king and a priest mm-hmm. at the same time. That is the communion we have been receiving, especially if you're a member of Lateran. That is what we are feeding on here. How to, how to be the priest of the Most High God, but at the same time, you are also interested in what is going on in Salem. Because he was not just the priest of the God Most High, he was also the king of Salem. And years later, when Christ was going to come, he had to come as a priest after the other Melchizedek. That means that is the dream. That God is saying, yes, you are a priest. This is the most high God. This is the most high factor. But you are also a king. Now, that was passed across to Isaac. So from Abraham was passed across to Isaac. But before we talk about Isaac, the way it works is this. How do you know you are, you are part of this generation of nation builders? There will be something missing there. You see, when God called Abraham, in spite of all this, he did not have a son. Especially when there's something in your life others are having without knowing God, but somehow with your knowledge of God, you don't have that thing. It's a pointer. 
Do you know he didn't take anything for everybody around Abraham to have a son? Why could Abraham not have a son? Because see, when that is happening, that is God trying to tell you that the vision eventually is to bat a son. But I need to hold you here so that you can be locked in into what is called the genealogy of Christ. Because at the end of it all, the son is Christ. And that's what about say Isaac was not really the son. What God had in mind was Christ. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, not to seed as of men. He said, to your seed. And that seed is what? Christ. Why do I need to say that? I need to say that again because a lot of people will not capitalize on that and say, I have a need. Maybe I need to marry or something. I need a job. You see, when whatever those things are, those things are not strong enough to excuse you from becoming a nation builder. So Abraham was not building the nation because he had it all together. He just had to step out in faith when he did not have a son. So he did not have a son, but he was training other sons. How easy. Imagine you are not having a son. And what, the attention you're supposed to give your son, you are giving to 318 others. That's why he's a father of it. So it doesn't matter. You don't have a job. See, all these things that people say, forget. You say, Abraham also had needs. But in the midst of all that, he understood that the waiting period of faith is not a passive period. It's a season of capacity building. So why waiting? What do you do? You channel that energy into other things. You build capacity. And if you look at pastor, you see all these lessons. You know, citadel is going on now, so there's not the time to, to. I mean, you know, when you're doing a major project like this, it's time to go quiet, so that more people can like you. And more people can give you money. <laughs> Especially when you need the money. <laughs> but we know our father. Oh my. We, we know you can't. Oh, I don't want to sound as if, you know. But we know. Praise God forevermore. So eventually it became Isaac's turn. And it will get to us. And we're going to pray in a moment now. I'm conscious of the time. So for Isaac, because he was not conscious at the time of his heritage and his inheritance, and that's why I said those things, when he was getting tough in the land of Philistine, Isaac already took his visa, bought his ticket, was on his way to the airport, they've called his flight already, and the Lord said, you are not going anywhere. Stay in this land. See, that is the parable for those who want to relocate to Canada. It was as if God just reminded Isaac, you are not conscious of your heritage. Your inheritance. Because in the mind of God, just the same way he became the God of Abraham, he wanted to become the God of Isaac. And it was as if God now reminded Isaac, technically, have you forgotten it was you that was taken to Moriah? There is a reason why it was you that activated the dynamics of Jehovah Jireh. There was a reason why it was you that was taken there so that you can know. So now you want to take visa? You bought your ticket? You're on your way to Canada? <laughs> you know, 
I, I deliberately use Canada just to get to some people. Because that is where Nigerians are going now. But you see, I can't blame you. Because if not for pastor, I don't think I'll be in Nigeria too. Because there was a time I, my, we made up our minds we will relocate to the U.S. And everything was... But just one word from pastor. I told my wife, I said, we'll just visit. We can't, we can't leave this country. There's something's about to happen here. So if you are in that mode, like you are tired like, like Isaac. So God said, Isaac, you need to understand the dream. So I want to ask you, all these decisions we make about where to walk, what to do, where to leave the country, where, to, uh, where our children should go to school, do they line up with these 12 things? If those things are not born out of the understanding of our heritage, our identity, our purpose, our assignment, and those other things, believe me, it's an exercise in futility. Because we don't just do this. And that was what God, God told Isaac. There's something I want to do here. Stay here. And where? Where there was famine. Isaac stayed in Jera. We know the story. He sold in the land. See, when, when we say God blessed Abraham, God blessed Isaac, God blessed Jacob, God blessed Joseph, how did he do it? Because that how is important. You realize that it, it was through the value chain of industry and hard work. I'm going to get to Joseph now. So Isaac did not just stay there and he was praying. He got into something. He sold in the land. He went into agriculture. You know, he broke again all the wells that the Philistines filled in the days of Abraham. So he was able to activate uh, the irrigation mode of agriculture. And before you know it, received the same day a hundredfold. It became great, continued to be great until they became exceeding great. And to show nation building, the Philistines envied him. Let's be real. Our nation today, Nigeria, do they envy us? Those of us who are in Christ. Or they pity us. <laughs> you know, they look at some of us and they just shake their heads. You know, say, what exactly are you doing there? But Isaac became the envy of his environment. Pass the same thing to Joseph. Leg, I mean, to Jacob. Legacy of hard work. Then he got to Joseph. So that we can begin to pray. When he got to Joseph, you see, I think the anointing of pastor is on me. Just going up and coming down. <laughs> you see, I've done it without even thinking about it many times. Huh? Um, I'm the son of my father. Praise God forevermore. And standing here, going everywhere. <laughs> It's Pastor Deolu just stood there. Maybe I should just stand there and be gentle too. Praise God for <laughs> So he got to Joseph. That's in the fourth generation, and that's where it matters. I want to quickly, in five minutes, address those of us who are between 20 and 30. Like Abraham. God gave the dream unto Abraham. God has given our father in this house a dream. But if you read Joel 2.28, for every dream, 
God must have given to the old men, the spirit must also empower visionary young men. The old men shall dream dreams, isn't it? But young men shall see vision. So a dream is a multi-dimensional, multi-layered sighting of the will of God that is given to the fathers. But a vision is a present, um, how do I put it? One-dimensional stake that visionary young people must position themselves as the fathers are paving way. There must come a generation of visionary young men behind them to hold the stakes. What is the point the fathers paving way and we don't have that generation coming behind? So that was why God played out this between Abraham and Joseph. That for what I spoke to Abraham to become a reality, a Joseph must arise. And how do you know as Joseph you are holding the lower hand of the vision of God in your heart? You just, you'll be wearing coats of many colors. I mean, at 17, this guy was already wearing designer suit. It was when we read John 4, we realized at 17 he had land. When Jesus was going to Samaria and he was willing with the journey, the Bible said that parcel of land was the one Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So that means at 17, he was wearing designer suit. It's called coat of many colors. 17 was ready into real estate. And that was why 17 he was fighting his brothers. Because when you hold on to the lower end of the vision, you'll be competing with your brothers. You will just have what is called the local expression of that vision, which will generate crisis at home and activate sibling rivalry. What does he do in a church? At the car park, your car is the best. You, you even want to deliberately park there to show everybody that, come on, there's prosperity here. That's the lower end of a vision. Because when the Holy Spirit walked in Joseph and the vision became activated at the instance of the Spirit, he now realized that what God was showing him had a global expression. It was beyond him. It was something powerful. And guess what? It would involve a lot of things. And the only way God could get Joseph to line up with the demands of this vision was to send him into slavery in Egypt. That is what people call crisis. Whenever there's a disconnect between the vision of God and the purpose of God for you at this level, especially when you are part of this vanguard leader that God is raising to, to build in Nigeria, you are a nation builder, he will organize some things for you. And you won't like those things. But that is the way to go. <laughs> is somebody feeling me? <laughs> Maybe he has organized something for you. But you don't like it. Can, can I plead you? Don't fight it. You can't even fight it. Because for Joseph, he must understand everything about slavery. What it means to be asked boy. Everything about women. They will lie against him. Everything about prison system, everything about butler and the baker, so that he could interpret their dreams, 
so that he could get to Pharaoh. He's a warlord, just like Pastor told us at Classic. Our seal, I mean, the way God will train you will be different from the way he's going to train me. But you will be trained. So understand when the training is going on that it's not funny. What did Joseph do to Pharaoh? And part of the training is this. So I can pray a little before I drop a mic. We must be trained to get to know the next valuable thing. If you were told that at the time in Egypt, grain will become more valuable than land, you won't believe it. What did God show Joseph in the training? Because we have to understand that the one that fixes value is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can tell us what is going to become the next valuable thing. And that is why those of us between 20 and 30 accept responsibility. You see, they, 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 the, 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 people say in everywhere that in the biggest thing, the next biggest thing is going to be data. That's what people are saying. But what is the Holy Spirit saying is going to be the next biggest thing? So that as a young man, you position yourself as pastor is paving way, you are ready. Because that paving way will mean because of the grace of God upon him and because of what he's doing now, a time will come, you will stand before Pharaoh. And when that time comes, what are you going to tell Pharaoh? So that means over the years, Joseph already understood how to turn misfortune into fortune. Because the dream Pharaoh had without the impute of Joseph is a bad economic model. Oh, you don't understand. That means prosperity will come in seven years. Everybody will enjoy. And after the seven years, everything will be wiped out by poverty. And that will be the end. But for Joseph. So Joseph was the only person to extend the grace of God and create a value layer of the ministry of the Spirit and turn a bad economic model into a model that became formidable and made Egypt a world power. Change the balance of power in the Middle East. That created what is called green bubble. You know, we've had, we've had oil boom in Nigeria. So it's only the Holy Spirit that can tell us the next boom. And I don't think it's oil. It is in the spirit of young men that will see vision. And that is why we challenge you tonight, young people. It's in your hand. It's in your spirit. Because you are that Joseph generation. Fourth generation from Adam. If you look at pastor, those in their 60s, those in their 50s, second generation, those in their 40s, third generation, what do we have? Those in their 20s going to 30s. That you are the real McCoys. You are the one that we are fasting for. You are the ones that must accept responsibility. I'd like us to rise. So just like Abraham trained young men, 318 of them, and that made a difference. Joseph stood before Egypt. I want us to begin to pray for the next generation of leaders in our midst. Oh man, it does not matter what we do. Once they drop the ball, that can be the end of the promise God made to Abraham. 
Because God needed somebody to stand before Pharaoh and to say the dream of Pharaoh is one. God just showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. And by the power of the Spirit gave an economic blueprint that created the next bubble. So as other people were investing in land, Joseph was investing in grain. People were investing in money. People were doing money market. The Bible says when the grain bubble started, money failed. So somebody can say now, the next thing that happened is that let's go to the money market, let's buy bonds and stock. Is he connected to these 12 things? Once it's not connected to these 12 things, you are doing secular humanism. And there's no place for that in this next level. We have to have a vision that is powered by the Spirit of God. Should we lift up our hands and begin to pray for young people? In our midst. In our midst. I'm sure he now says yeah, there's a training going on. And pastor is pointing out is that raising the next generation of leaders, value creators, those that by the grace of God, when the way is paved, we have to come in. I want us to begin to decree and declare upon them, just like Joseph, that we have the strength of character to, to resist everything that is called temptation, to understand that they are being processed and to understand that this is important. In Jesus' name, while you are finding your purpose as a young man, you will realize also that somehow God will also give you space in the scheme of things to correct some things in the polity. Joseph did not just talk green. Joseph also trained senators in Egypt. So when I saw that in Psalm 105, that he taught senators, senators' wisdom, I was like, so, I mean, senators need to be taught wisdom. So they won't be climbing trees. <laughs> Do you know there's a level of resource you can command that senators will learn wisdom from you? Do you know not only did he teach senators wisdom, the Bible says he also bound princes at his pleasure. So it was actually Joseph that mentored the ruling class in Egypt. So that means the assignment upon us as a generation will require hard work. So it is good that you are not known now. That is the best thing that has happened to you. Because it is where you are not known, you can build capacity. Because the day you stand before Pharaoh, it will be too late to start building capacity. Let's receive grace again tonight. Just like he's put it upon our father, laboring day and night, you know, you call pastor at times and he tells you, I have not slept in the last eight hours. He comes to church here at times in the morning. We are doing conferences. He says, I did not go to bed until 4 a.m. And by 10 a.m. he's also here again ministering. It is called work. It is called grace. You see, when that grace is on you, you will labor more. But it won't show because it is subsidized by grace. Father, we thank you. Because indeed in this house, there will rise that generation of young men who will see vision. Vision powered by the spirit and by the dynamics of faith. Pursue it and fulfill that which you spoke to Abraham to make Nigeria great again. As you have spoken to our father, we key in again tonight. Young men, old men, everyone that we understand that we are all stakeholders. And by the power of the Spirit, do the needful. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. We have to end it here today, but it's been a real joy to come into your homes to unveil the truth of God's Word. I pray that the Word of God you have received will sink deeply into your hearts and bring forth tangible fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. In addition, I pray that the truth you've embraced will not only set you free, but it will empower you to impact your environment positively as God's representative in your sphere of influence. Till we meet again on this platform, remain sandwiched between the peace of God and the God of peace. God bless you richly. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.